Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Greetings and welcome to episode 78 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Our guest this week is author and speaker Chris Clues. He's an 80s pop culture enthusiast and close personal friend to Abe Froman, the Sausage King of Chicago. And if you get that joke, you're going to love this episode. (laughs) Stay tuned for what is sure to be a lot of fun coming up in a few minutes. Once again, this is the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Thank you so much for tuning in, downloading, streaming, however it is that you are experiencing the show. I want to invite you to follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. It's also on YouTube now, which is a really, really great place to subscribe. You can check out the book cover art as the show is playing in the background. It's a really fun place to go. Finally, if you or a friend are a published author and would like to be on the show, contact me at the show email, which is samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com. Let me know who you are and what your book is, and we'll get something set up. Oh my goodness, I don't know if you can hear it in my voice or not, but <laughs> I'm a little more gravelly than usual, but it's it's very early in the morning. I got a big, big day ahead of me, and so I needed to go ahead and get up nice and early so I could get this all done and edited later on. been doing a lot of celebrating here lately because as of last week, the last full week of July, my wife, I'm so proud of her, she finished her last day of college classes. Uh, she is now done with sitting in the classrooms listening to teachers yeah <laughs> you know, just like the song goes no more teachers dirty looks yeah she uh, she finished that up all she has left now here in another couple weeks she'll be going to internship and then she'll be finished with her master's graduating in december i'm so proud of her she has worked so hard these last oh my gosh it's been like seven years and uh you know considering that she spent <laughs> Uh, 15, 16 years in the military before getting, uh, getting to retire early and then now doing this. I mean, man, mad props to my wife. I'm so proud of her. And, uh, yeah, so yeah, we've been celebrating, uh, her last day of classes last week. We went out, went to the new theater in Overland Park, Kansas city. If you don't know what that is, the new theater is a dinner theater and, let me tell you, it is a fantastic place to go. Wonderful shows, amazing food, great people, and the service is, is incredible. Highly, highly recommend. If you're ever going to come into the Kansas City area, or if you're in that area now, get yourself over and check out a show at New Theater. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fantastic. You're not going to regret it. It is a lot of fun. Now, because of my wife finishing up classes, uh, I knew that that was coming up, so I went ahead and banked a bunch of episodes a bunch of interviews over the past week to 10 days i've probably done seven or eight interviews and you know i did that to help save some time so that way i can have more time with with uh, my wife in the evenings getting to spend some time outside all together as a family it's been a lot of fun but yeah i've gotten so many interviews that uh i think uh, i think i have enough now to get us out to episode 85 which you know that's quite a few (laughs) and uh, it's already got me looking ahead to uh, man it's just amazing to think that i mean 85 that's just 15 away from 100 and man what a milestone that's going to be right i mean 
Holy cow, that's just, just been a year and a half that I've been doing this show, and to think that I'm just that close to hitting that big 100 is kind of blowing my mind. So I'm making some plans, I'm getting some things arranged now, trying to figure out exactly what I'm going to do for our extravaganza episode 100, and uh, regardless, uh, episode 100 is going to be something special, no matter what, and... Uh, We'll see what we can do. Well, you know, one of the things I love about doing this show is that week in and week out, it is a variety of authors and a variety of, of books, chapters that you are hearing from. You know, it's one week you're hearing a horror story. The next week it's something, uh, you know, it's a Christian-based theme. Uh, the next week after that it could be a thriller. There could be a Western. There could be some other romance I mean, it's just one thing after another, and included amongst all that, we've also had some really fascinating nonfiction stories here and there, and today is no exception. Our guest is Chris Clues. He's an author and speaker, and he's an 80s pop culture enthusiast. He has put together a fantastic book called What 80s Pop Culture Teaches Us About Today's Workplace, and I've already read it. It was a quick read. I mean, I literally sat down and opened the book up and read the first like three chapters in maybe 10, 15 minutes. So it's it's really a, a quick read, but it is quite the nostalgic trip down memory lane, you know, especially for myself because I am somebody who lived the 80s. And uh, it was a lot of fun, especially hearing Chris's views on lessons that you can learn from these movies, these iconic movies, and how he wrapped these up into a lesson that you can take with you into business and uh, really they're they're almost they're almost life lessons you know they're they're business related but it's 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 life lessons i i think you're gonna really love it and uh you know along the way chris and i had a lot of fun uh talking i mean we talked about the 80s we talked about the movies the cars the lifestyle you know we had we had just so much to talk about i'm gonna have to have him back on the show He's got a follow-up book coming in just a few months, and it's going to be you know, I'm definitely definitely going to happen. We're going to have him back on the show because there's just so much to cover and uh, so much fun stuff. We had a blast. You know, one of the things in particular that we talked about that that was a lot of fun was how how the '80s really birthed that ability to begin sharing your creativity with others via what was the first social media outlet, which was the mall. <laughs> Uh, you know, I guess you could say it was the mall and bootleg VHS tapes, you know, the home movies that you could make and then make copies of and send it out. Good grief. That was, that was my introduction to Tony Hawk and other skater guys. Not that I was a skater, but my brother, Brett out there in California. I love you, man. I don't know if you listen to the show, but I love you, Brett. Uh, but yeah, my brother was a huge skater and I just remember him coming home one day and it was like, yeah, a friend of a friend, this guy I know. He's got these tapes, and it's here's uh, what was I'm, I'm I'm blanking on some of the names. You got Tony Hawk, Caballero, uh, all these different guys, and it was just these you know the, back then you know we were all kids, and they're skating in somebody's backyard pool, but doing these incredible things on a skateboard, you know. And then during the episode, Chris and I talk about like Tiffany and Debbie Gibson. They were discovered singing in the mall. You know they were they were entertainers in a mall. And, you know, like I said, I, I think, I think the, <laughs> that was, 
that was our introduction to social media. You know, if you wanted to see a lot of people get together with friends and hang out, the mall is where you went. And that was the birth of that. And, you know, we have the 80s to thank for it. But anyway, uh, that that's, you know, one of those many, many things that Chris and I are talking about. It's a great episode. So I had so much fun talking with him. And make sure at the end of the episode that you are clicking the links for Chris uh, because he loves having feedback from fans. And uh, he does a lot of engagement with people who are following him and find out what your feedback would be on any future books. And uh, that way you can tell him, hey, oh, you know what? This movie was one of my favorites growing up. And what kind of lessons can you learn from that? So make sure you've clicked those links in the show notes so you can follow Chris. And I think I'm rambling enough now. So (laughs) I'm going to get us on over to a word from our advertiser. And then you're going to hear the interview with Chris Clues. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener writing software, built by writers for writers. And welcome back everybody to another bodacious episode of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Any of you out there who grew up in the 80s, you're going to have a fun time with this episode because I am talking with 80s pop culture enthusiast, author, and speaker, Chris Clues. Chris, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me, man. This is great. It is absolutely my pleasure. I'm so happy to have you here. I can't wait to dive into this. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. From the time that you reached out to me, I was really looking forward to doing this. Very cool concept. Um, very cool podcast, and I'm excited to be part of the, the list of authors that you've had on previously. So thanks thanks again for the invite. <laughs> Thank you. So I guess uh, the first thing I think that pops out, of course, you wrote this book, What 80s Pop Culture Teaches Us About Today's Workplace. And uh, one of the first things that comes to me is, why the 80s? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, well, for a couple of reasons. One is I'm the quintessential 80s kid. I was born in 1970, so... Uh, 10 years old in 1980, 1989, pretty much everything I did for the first time, my formative years were in the 80s. So I just, I love the decade. I'm very nostalgic for it. I also think that it's a really interesting decade in that if you think about the creativity, the individuality, the movies, the, the television, it just keeps coming back. And I think part of it is because it was there was just this explosion of individuality in the 80s. Mm. Uh, people were beginning for the first time to kind of be who they wanted to be. There was a lot of different genres of music and movies and television, all of this stuff. There was something for everybody, I guess, maybe for the first time. And uh, that's part of what makes the 80s super interesting to me. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and it seems like the 80s was that time when the technology hit just right because, you know, we got the VHS tapes hitting that boom. Movies were really exploding, so to speak, on screen. Movies like we've never seen before. And just an entire cultural 
evolution that we've never seen and and really just it like it only existed in that time yeah and i mean i i think the best way to kind of describe the eclectic nature of the 80s and why there was something for everybody is when you look at the top 40 music which i do in my books as well if you look at top 40 today or even in the 90s you know uh into the 2000s there were very few genres that made up the top 40 if you go back into the 80s you just just Google whatever you want, June 83, top 40 music. And what you'll find is this: the top 10 could just have this variety of stuff, everything from Debbie Gibson to Neil Diamond to Motley Crue to New Edition could all be in the same top 10. And you just don't – there was no – I don't think there was any other decade like that where if you looked at that top 10, there was something for literally everybody. And uh, I think that's what made it amazing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's from the movies, from the television, just so many good things. And then, of course, like you said, and the music. I mean, I, I'm i still, I mean, and I don't know, maybe it's my age, but I still, I've got so many different 80s playlists that <laughs> I go back to all the time. So I've got to listen to my, my 80s rock and roll and, and other music that's playing all the time. Yeah, and it's, you know, the, when you mention the movies as well, the, there's something about the movies and what it was really was that, there was very limited avenues for movies to make money in the 80s. So, and what I mean by that is if you go back and you look at the box office, for example, the best movies were at the, at the box office in the theaters for over 30 weeks sometimes. Mm-hmm. Once they were done with their run in a theater, there were very limited avenues and channels for them to make money. Uh, we came into, you know, cable with HBO and Showtime and, uh, that started to be an outlet for movies to make, you know, a few extra bucks after they were out of the theater. And then there became obviously the, the video stores, um, gave them an outlet. But if you remember the video stores, you'd go in there and it would say coming in six months. <laughs> yeah. What if you're waiting for? And you would just wait and wait and wait for that movie to come in. That was really it. I mean, there was some international release, but not like today where if your movie isn't working in the U.S., you, you know, you can release it in China and maybe, you make another 50 to 60 million and try to cover your budget if it just didn't do as well as you had anticipated in the US. That wasn't as big of an option back in the 80s. And so it was really important that you had a great story, great character development, great acting, great dialogue, or people just really didn't care. And you had to sell a lot of tickets to make money. Remember, the tickets were two bucks. Mm-hmm. So you had to sell a lot of tickets to make money on your movie. And again, you didn't have a lot of avenues afterwards to continue to drive revenue streams like you do today. Yeah. Yeah. I still very vividly remember when my dad brought home our very first VHS player and he had also been to the store and picked up the Terminator. Uh, that was our first rental. And then, uh, you know, and then of course finding out, wait a minute, we can record what's on <laughs> television. And so like, yeah, first thing we did, my, my mom, she was all excited because, uh, romancing the stone was about to come on HBO. And so that was the first thing we recorded. And then I remember, uh, just before Christmas, we got to open up Christmas gifts early, and like my brother and I each got our own blank tape so we could record our own stuff. And we were just, and I remember being excited for that. We was like, oh, yeah. Yes! Put that on extended long play. You could get <laughs> at least three movies on there. Perfect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we actually, um, I was lucky enough to have a little camcorder, and we made our own movie called California Bones. Uh, we just destroyed my, my mom's backyard in her house, but we had a great time doing it. I wish I still had the tape. I don't know what happened to it. 
I, every time I go home to Baltimore, I look for it, I, and I I can't find it. I, I don't know what happened. Somebody might have you know taken had it at their house, and now it's probably gone. But I'd like to watch it again because I, I know how incredibly bad it was, and that would just make it amazing. So. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so. So we've, we've got all this 80s nostalgia. Now, what was it about looking back on these 80s movies that made you think business lessons? How, where did that come from? Yeah, and so it's a, it's a question I get all the time, and it's really interesting. I, I, I've always enjoyed writing. Uh, I've been doing marketing for over 20 years, and it was kind of one of those things where I was – I took a step back, and I thought, you know, is this really – is this it? I mean, I'm going to be a pretty good marketing guy, and then at the end of my life, that's what it's going to be. And I felt like there was something more for me to do. And I was having kind of like a little bit of a self-pity party of one at my house on a Saturday afternoon, laying on the couch watching The Breakfast Club. Because whenever, you know, that's one of my go-tos whenever I feel like I just need to unwind and forget about everything. So I'm watching The Breakfast Club, and uh, there's the moment in the movie where Bender, you know, takes the screws out of the door. Principal Vernon asks what happened. And, you know, he says, screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. And I just kind of sat up. It just it hit me. It resonated with me because I was feeling in an imperfect place at the time. And I thought, you know, the, the business world an imperfect place, too. And I decided to uh, write an article and post it on LinkedIn called What the Breakfast Club Taught Us About the Workplace. And I woke up the next day and I had all these likes and comments, people from all over saying, this is awesome. I really enjoyed it. Um, great idea. And I thought, OK, I didn't expect this. So maybe I should just go ahead and do another one. So I wrote one on Ferris Bueller and work-life balance and got an incredibly good response again. And I thought maybe maybe there's something here. So I decided to write eight more of them and self-publish a book. My buddy, uh, Jim Zielinski, great graphic designer, he uh, helped me design the, the book cover. We went through this whole process together for the first time. We'd never done a book before. And we got it out on Amazon in um, May, I think it was like May 22nd of 2018. And then at that point, I decided, what else can I do with this? And I built a website and started promoting myself as a speaker. I, I love to be on stage. I was on stage as a kid. And now we're here today. I have a second book that's with a publisher. I actually have a publisher now, which is great. I have a second book and I have a, a speaking agent and I'm you know, speaking at conferences and events about what 80s pop culture can teach us about the workplace. So it's really evolved into something pretty incredible. And I'm super excited about it. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's so that's amazing, and it's it's wonderful that you had one of those moments that you recognized what you had, you went with it, and then as it started to grow, you got to kind of step away. Because I'm guessing you're no longer working during the day in marketing. Yeah, so I made that decision about a month ago. Uh, I I took the leap of faith, and uh, it's something that you have to do if you're passionate about something. You believe in it. I mean, I was, you know, I was doing it at night, nights and on the weekends, and I had a pretty big marketing job myself in terms of what I was doing on a on a day to day basis. And uh, I had to make a decision, and the decision was I needed to go for it. I, I never wanted to look back at the end of my life and say I wish I would have. Those are words that I I, I hope I never say. And so uh, this was a place where I had to make that decision. And people were telling me if you really want to if you really want to run with this, you've got to be available 100%. So that's what I did. And here we are, you know, a year and a half later, and I, I left my job about a month ago, and I'm a year and a half into uh, doing this um, as kind of something that was a passion project that's turned into my full-time job. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you got, uh, this is a show full of authors who, you know, some of them, some of the authors I've talked to have, they took that chance early on, they knew what they wanted to do, and they went for it, and I'm just like green with jealousy 
Because for me, it wasn't until I was becoming a grandpa before I was just like, crap, I'm getting older. I got to get busy with this stuff. <laughs> I, I got to, I, yeah. I, I wanted to be an author by now and like living well and like, what's grandpa do? Oh, he's a writer. He's got all these books. You know, you can, you'll read them when you get older. But, uh... Yeah, that's, that, that's exactly it. I mean, you know, I talk about that. I, I kind of had to. I, I, at some point, I had to live what I was preaching. You know, one of the one of the chapters in my first book is "Say Anything" in Lloyd Dobler, and one of the lessons in there is about taking the dare. That kind of dare to be great moment that he took, and he talks about that, and I talk about that taking the dare. So if I'm going to talk about that, then I, I needed to do it, and and so here I am, and it's great. I mean, I love it. The opportunities that are coming coming to me now that I'm available. Are amazing. I think you and I were talking earlier about uh, a great event that's happening in Anaheim, California, September 28th and 29th, which is NostalgiaCon. It's a really cool event. And the reason that I know about it and that I've been involved with it is because I met the people who were putting it on through a very small um, speaking engagement I had uh, at a place in, in, in Miami. I live in South Florida called the Lab Miami, which is a little kind of WeWork facility. And I did a presentation there about what 80s pop culture can teach us about the workplace. And the first NostalgiaCon event is 80s focused. And if you go to NostalgiaCon80s.com, you'll see all of the people that they already have from the 80s who are going to be there from television, from film. There's going to be concerts there as well. It's really, really cool. And I would have never met Manny and Angela who were, you know, have put the thing together. I would have never met them if I wasn't available. And that's that's what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. So super cool. Yeah. Taking the chance. Yeah. Taking the chance. Taking the dare. Yeah. You know, and that's something else about the 80s I got to thinking about. Uh, you know, and, and like I said, I've read the first several chapters. I'm about, to, I'm into Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. That's, uh, was that chapter 8? <laughs> and yes. uh, I'm, I'm up to that right now. And one of the things I kept thinking about was, you know, with the lessons learned and all, I started realizing, like, man, it seems like the end of the 80s, it seems like that was when people started to really reach for their dreams, you know, and it was because of, Again, technology is changing. We've got all these uh, movies and things t telling us, hey, reach for your dreams. And it seemed like that at the end of the 80s, that's about the time, like the people like our parents, the baby boomers, uh, we started getting away from one career for your life. Yes. And yep. and people started, uh, they would do try a job out for a few years. Yeah, this, I'm, not, I'm not feeling it. I'm going to try something else out. And. And doing that, like we're, we're looking for different jobs and looking for our identities now. And it seems like that kind of came out of that 80s uh, golden era of reach for your dreams. You know, go for that thing. Take the chance. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. And I, and I do think that there was it was the beginning of more opportunity for more people. Uh, we saw that again in the different types of um, creative endeavors that were happening in the 80s and then, you know, moving into the 90s. But really, the 80s was that explosion where people said, I can do this, you know, I, I, I can do this. And they had it in their hands. I mean, those camcorders were kind of the first thing where people could actually film at their house. They could go do this on their own. Um, that was, that was a really cool moment where, you know, you didn't have to be in uh, Hollywood, you know, and, and, and be part of a big film crew to be part of the whole experience. You could actually film something at your house and try to get that way. And uh, I think that's, I think you're right. I mean, it was a really, it was a time for the people really began to not just dream, but believe that they could do it. Yeah. And, um, you know, we could talk all night about that. I mean, we're, <laughs> we're started, that kind of started with us landing on the moon and going from there. But I mean, really with the eighties were where people went changed from dreaming about something to believing that they could make it happen. 
Yeah. We'll talk about entertainment, right? You know, so that's, I mean, listen, Debbie Gibson and Tiffany, where were they found? In a mall. And I mean, <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't my genre of music in particular, but think about that. I mean, they were singing in malls. So yeah. you had these outlets that were never, that were not available before. I think the only way that you, you were found is if you were in the right place, you had to be in LA or New York, or you had to be on the gong show. It's <laughs> like, that was about it. And then there uh, maybe Star Search. Star Search started, I think, in the early 80s and started to find some people as well, um, just like America's Got Talent does today. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many reasons why it was a great decade for creativity and the individual and, uh, and the ability for us to, to, you know, not just dream, but, but actually pursue it and believe that we could do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, all right, so you started this one off. You've got 10 movies, uh, that I, all of them iconic. How in the world did you narrow it down to 10 and why these 10? I think for the first book, I really focused on 10 that I knew really, really well. I mean, I, I know a lot of movies well from the 80s, but these are the ones that jumped out. And, and you know what? It's What's interesting is I would start thinking about movies that I thought might have a really good workplace lesson, and I'd work backwards. And then I would go and I would look on IMDb, and I would start looking at the movie quotes from those movies and just skimming the movie quotes until one jumped out where I thought, that's a quote or a scene that could actually teach us a really cool lesson about the workplace. And that's what I did. For the second one, it was a little bit different because I thought it would be more fun, although I reserved the first chapter and the last chapter for myself. For all the other chapters in between, I went out to social media and I asked people, here are four movies that I could potentially do for the next chapter. Which one would you like to see? And got great response from people. And that's kind of how I built the second one was what people wanted to, wanted to hear about. The first one, though, I did on my own. I just They were just 10 movies that really meant something to me. Uh, all of them in different ways. Some of them, you know, like The Breakfast Club, that was the first movie, R-rated movie that I went to see with my dad. And he thought it was a really important movie for me to see as a teenager. And so that, you know, there was a good reason why I had The Breakfast Club in there. And then uh, you think about Beverly Hills Cop. I was a huge Eddie Murphy fan. And so Beverly Hills Cop really was something that I wanted to talk about in the book as well. Ferris Bueller. I mean, we all thought we were Ferris. None of us were, but we all wanted to believe that we were. And uh, so Ferris was one that was just easy for me to put into the book. Uh, Christmas Vacation. I mean, to this day, I still watch that five or six times every Christmas. <laughs> At least, yes. And that was a timing thing because the first one I did, The Breakfast Club, I did in early November. And I did Ferris Bueller. And then it was about December 10th. And I thought, I should do one for the holidays. Christmas Vacation would be perfect. And uh, I did that one more based on timing than anything else. And um, and turned out I had some great lessons in it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you've got uh, the, this first one is already out. The yeah. second one you're working on now, What uh, when can we expect this? And how many more movies will be in this one? Yeah, you're right. The first one's on Amazon, available on Amazon. The second one uh, will be 10 more movies from the 80s. And it will more likely be available for pre-order or pre-sale sometime in September, and then likely be available to purchase in October. Um, the goal is before the holidays, um, for sure. Uh, and that that's from the timeline I've gotten from the publisher. Um, that's a no-brainer for all of us, and so um, that'll definitely be the case. But as we get closer, I'm happy to share that with you, and it'd be awesome to maybe you know dive into the second book a little bit once we get to September. Uh, but that's 10 more movies from the 80s, and again, you know, kind of a little bit of um, engagement with people on social media about which movies I should pull lessons from, which was which was a lot of fun for me. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, because seeing what people 
were really, really passionate about in terms of the, the stories and the movies was so cool. And it challenged me a little bit to think, okay, you know, how do I build lessons out of this particular movie? And, and, I, and I loved it. So I, I can totally see a, a continuation of this series. And once you've worked out all of your workplace ones, then, okay, now let's uh, see what can the 80s movies tell us about love? Yeah, and go from there. And what can they teach us about friendship? And go from there. And I mean, man, you got quite the uh, catalog I could see coming up for you. I, I, my goal is, you know, if I could replicate Chicken Soup for the Soul in some <laughs> form, using '80s pop culture, and and you know, maybe down the road other pop culture, but '80s pop culture, it would be amazing. <laughs> That'll be great. That'll be great. You're gonna like start your own, uh, have like a little farm here with the. Uh, chicken soup 80s pop culture kind of thing and like oh yeah i'm looking for people to write this book for me <laughs> it'd be amazing yeah i mean that'd be so much fun oh so, my gosh yeah well this is some really cool stuff and and chris i hear that uh i hear that the proceeds to your books you've got a portion of that going to a charity is that right yeah so i'm a huge animal person thanks for bringing this up by the way jason and i actually uh, had the pleasure of meeting the um director of the spca international when i was at dreamforce in um, Salesforce, huge conference in San Francisco a couple of years ago, and I always wanted to do something with them. And so once I published the book and I started doing some speaking, I do I do donate a portion of the royalties from my book and a portion of my speaking fees uh, to the SPCA International. And one of the great things that they do is they actually work with the military to reunite, um, usually dogs for the most part, reunite the dogs that military people, men and women or soldiers in theater or even on a base um, have come become very close to. And then they have to come back to the U.S. They're, they actually reunite them. They've done hundreds of these, which is really cool, and really awesome, because in the past, I'm not sure that that was something that could be done. And now they've actually made that happen. So it's a really great program. Um, they're really great people. They're working super hard on uh, animal rights and, and then tying in the, you know, the military piece of it for me is just uh, perfect. That is really, really awesome. My wife and I are both paramilitary, so this is this really hits home, and, and that is a really cool thing. Say again, what's the name of it, and the, is there a website that people can go to? Yeah, it's the um, SPCA International, and the website is spcai.org. All right, and that'll be uh, – I'll make sure and put some links in the show notes for that as well because that is just such a cool thing, and – and I really appreciate that, uh, you know, as you're growing, you're giving back for something to help others. This is really, really cool, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, they do. They do great work all over the place. But, you know, there's, there's the military piece and then there's some other pieces as well. So, yeah, definitely check it out. Thanks. Sweet. Well, all right. So something just totally off topic then. How about 80s uh, vehicles? I was I was interested thinking about this earlier. I, I actually started talking with my boss about this. What would be your 80s vehicle if you could pick one to have for yourself? Wow. Uh, you know, that's a great question. I Oh, am... let, me, uh, let me preface this. And it can be movies or TV. Oh, or... Gotcha. Yeah. gotcha. Okay. Wow. Okay, good. Yeah. So, Because I was thinking, like, you know, I had, a Delta 8, I had a Delta 88 Oldsmobile 1977 that was handed down to me um, called the beast. And, you know, it was a beast for sure. Oh, and we tried to jump railroad tracks with it, which is a whole nother story, but, uh, <laughs> I, know <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I talk about that in my second book about just putting, you know, getting that car at the top of a hill and going 80 miles, 75 miles an hour straight down the hill to jump some railroad tracks and how incredibly stupid, but amazing it was. Oh, yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, I would say, wow, I mean, right off the top of my head, a flying DeLorean would be pretty cool. <laughs> um, you know, at the end of Back to the Future where they fly away to, you know, 2015. That would probably be my first choice would be the DeLorean if I was looking at the movies. It's an easy option, but it certainly wouldn't be the family truckster, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, uh, oh, man, if I, I mean, if I could pick from any decade, I would, for me, it would definitely be the Mach 5. Speed Racer, I would, oh man, oh, if I yeah. had unlimited funds, I would totally have my own replica that I would be driving around town. But uh, if I had to stick with the 80s, uh, you know, I'd have to go with Kit, uh, just, because, just because, you know, it's nice to, like, you know, Kit, I'm tired. You you drive home tonight. We're coming close to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, that's a good choice too. And then, and then on top of that, if you did choose Kit, then you would probably still be doing concerts, uh, in Germany. <laughs> that's, that's part of my, uh, ultimatum. That's, that's what I'm working towards. <laughs> you, have a, you have a singing career in Germany. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I think now that I think about it too, the DeLorean would be one, but honestly, I always would have loved to have a land speeder because oh, yeah. I live in South Florida and the traffic is just horrific. And if I could have a land speeder that just hovered right above everybody in traffic, that would be the best. <laughs> That'd be a good one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, Chris, this has been great. Where, where can people find you online? Where can they follow you? Yeah, so they can follow me at um, several different places, actually. I was, I'll start with Twitter because it's, I was lucky enough when I, when I published the book, I went on Twitter to look for a handle, and at 80s Pop Culture was available. I couldn't believe it. Oh, my gosh. I mean, how that could still be available, but it was. So at, on Twitter, I'm at 80s Pop Culture. Um, Facebook and LinkedIn are my name, Chris Clues, C-L-E-W-S. I'm also most, I just started on Instagram, which is Chris Clues 80s. So, uh, which is 80S. And so those are the four social media channels that I have right now. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. And Facebook and LinkedIn, you can find me just in my name. ChrisClues.com, the most important one. Yes. ChrisClues.com, C-H-R-I-S-C-L-E-W-S.com. That's where you can keep up with uh, the different events and conferences that I'm speaking at, book signings, and podcasts, like the Sample Chapter podcast, uh, <laughs> pictures, photos from different things that are going on, and just um, you know current information about me and what I'm doing. Perfect, man. This is awesome. And, and of course, everybody, as always, there will be links in the show notes for all of this. That way, once you're done listening, click on that link and follow Chris. Pick up a copy of the book for yourself. It is, it's a quick read. It's a lot of fun, and it's quite the memorable one. I, I mean, you've heard us talking. We've had just going down the memory lane and all the things that this is uh, bringing up and the lessons, most yeah. importantly, the lessons, uh, which is great, man. This is, this is a lot of fun, and I'm so happy you came on the show. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, man. I love it. I'm loving this. And by the way, uh, you don't have to wear parachute pants and a members-only jacket to read the book. Please, I don't. So, yeah. Now, you know, I'm wearing ripped jeans, and I got my denim jacket hanging up here behind me, so I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again, Chris. Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time for me to step aside, and I'm going to hand the floor over to my new friend, Chris Clues, with his book, What 80s Pop Culture Teaches Us About Today's Workplace. All right. Thanks, Jason. I really appreciate it. So um, everyone in the audience, I really appreciate you guys listening. I'm going to read chapter eight from my book, What 80s Pop Culture Teaches Us About Today's Workplace. 
And Chapter 8 happens to be Stand By Me, which is one of my favorite 80s movies. And what I really love about this movie, there's a number of things I love about it, but one of the things I really love about it is that I think when people think of Stephen King, they typically think of horror, but I would argue that some of his best writing uh, is really about life, and Stand By Me is a really great life lesson movie. The Green Mile and Shawshank Redemption, all by Stephen King. If you didn't know this uh, today, hopefully I provide you with a little bit of a, a knowledge nugget about one of my favorite authors. So I'm going to jump into Chapter 8, Stand By Me, from what 80s pop culture teaches us about today's workplace. All right, all right. Mickey's a mouse, Donald's a duck, Pluto's a dog. What's goofy? That's Gordy, Stand By Me. It was August of 1986, and I was preparing for my junior year of high school by getting lines shaved into the hair on the side of my head and coloring them green for effect. Yes, I did that. Mercy. With the end of summer rapidly approaching, the box office was still awash with blockbusters. Yes, in those days of 80s yore, movies actually stayed in theaters longer than a fortnight. In fact, some continued to sell tickets for months before eventually going the way of the VHS tape and the coming soon board with the white plastic lettering in your local video store. The Fly, with the gracefully aging Jeff Goldblum, the sci-fi horror classic Aliens, and the wax-on, wax-off of Karate Kid 2 were amassing massive sales of $3 movie tickets. Oh, and lest we forget, the world is being introduced to Maverick, Goose, and Iceman in the American classic Top Gun. The Top 40 in music was once again proving that the 80s most certainly had something for everyone, the classic sounds of Stevie Winwood reverberating through Higher Love. The one-hit wonder, Jermaine Stewart, with his super catchy ode to morals and we don't have to take our clothes off. Peter Cetera, who was essentially the John Williams, the Star Wars composer, of the Karate Kid trilogy with his latest love ballad, The Glory of Love. And the female alt-pop band, Bananarama, with its smash hit, Venus. Now that all of these are in your head once again, I'd be remiss not to mention that the most innovative of songs in 1986 and one that launched a new sound that is often replicated but never duplicated, as someone once said. Run DMC and Aerosmith combined their massive forces for a rap rock remake of Walk This Way, mind-blowing genius for that time. Television gave us the first attempt at a new network since 1967 with the launch of the Fox Television Network, which immediately hit it big with Al and Peggy Bundy and Married the Children. Fun fact, Al Bundy, a.k.a. Ed O'Neill, is Jay Pritchett in Modern Family which will also go down as one of the greatest sitcoms of all time. Other awesome shows that premiered around this time in 1986 were ALF, the lovable alien life form with an attitude who was pushing the FCC envelope every evening, LA Law, which was drawing in huge ratings with this version of Baywatch in the courtroom, and one of my favorites, Perfect Strangers with Bronson Pinchot, highly, highly recommend for a binge-watching session. We also said goodbye to some all-time greats with different strokes, which you talking about, Willis, The Love Boat, Love and Exciting and New, Benson with the incredibly talented Robert Guillaume, and The Fall Guy with Lee Majors and Heather Thomas, the latter of whom spawned one of the great 80s posters. I had one or two. Stand By Me starring River Phoenix, Will Wheaton, Jerry O'Connell, Corey Feldman, and Kiefer Sutherland, and directed by Rob Reiner hit theaters on August 8th of 1986. Originally a short story by Stephen King titled The Body, it was included in his book Different Seasons, which also spawned the absolutely amazing Shawshank Redemption. The coming-of-age comedy drama follows four junior high school boys, Gordy, Chris, Vern, and Teddy, who go on an adventure to find a missing neighborhood kid whose body is supposedly located somewhere near the railroad tracks. The story takes place in the fictional town of Castle Rock, Oregon, over Labor Day weekend in 1959. 
The movie is narrated by Richard Dreyfuss, who is actually the main character, Gordy, decades later. He's now a published writer recounting their journey after reading that Chris, played by River Phoenix, has been stabbed to death trying to break up a fight at a fast food restaurant. It's Rob Reiner telling a classic Stephen King story, and the result is an introspective and nostalgic look at the friendships we all had during our late-stage childhood years of wonder, adventure, and innocence. It was a time in our lives when every summer day seemed to literally last forever, and each school day did last forever. Those were the friendships that taught us many of the lessons we would later use to help us succeed in the workplace. And as Gordy so eloquently states at the end of the movie, I never had any friends like I did when I was 12. Jesus, does anyone? So what can our four brazen and adventurous but innocent and naive 12-year-old boys teach us about today's workplace? There really are no stupid questions. During their journey, the boys are sitting around a campfire in the woods discussing the important topics of the day, such as what food would you eat if you could eat only one for the rest of your life, which according to Vern is cherry-flavored Pez. No question about it. And why they never get anywhere on the show Wagon Train. They just keep on wagon training, Gordy says in frustration. And then the conversation turns to Goofy when Gordy asks, all right, all right, Mickey's a mouse, Donald's a duck, Pluto's a dog, what's Goofy? Teddy replies that Goofy is definitely a dog, to which Chris says, he can't be a dog. He wears a hat and drives a car. At this point, Vern chimes in with, God, that's weird. What the hell is Goofy? On the surface, it would seem that Goofy is a dog, and asking what he is would be the definition of a stupid question. But this is where we get our lesson. Sometimes the question with what appears to be the most obvious answer is actually the best one to ask. It's the one that ultimately prompts the largest discussion and can be the beginning of a robust brainstorm. I think back to the first acronym I can recall, which was KISS, or Keep It Simple Stupid. I'm not even sure they're allowed to use that in schools anymore, but it always stuck with me. Unless we're in a room full of Neil deGrasse Tysons, when we ask complex questions during a business meeting, they often go unanswered. Or worse yet, each person tries to top the other by answering with a consistent string of nonsense buzzwords that would make Lewis Carroll, the author of Jabberwocky, a poem built on a foundation of nonsense words and phrases, feel a tinge of envy. You know the person who says, let's table that while we drill down into these bowling pins and see if we can move the needle with limited bandwidth. But for now, let's take it offline because I need a bio break. So make sure to put a pin in it and ping me later. Everyone nods in agreement and you're on to the next topic without actually answering the question. Stupid questions with what appear to be simple answers create an environment in which everyone feels they can contribute and perhaps provide the answer the team or the business needs to move forward. It lessens the impact of buzzword Bob and when everyone contributes, you may actually discover that the simple answer isn't so simple. And this may actually help you uncover the differentiator, messaging, positioning, or product that will ultimately lead to the success of your team and your business. So, what the hell is Goofy anyway? Goals are achieved by embracing individuality over conformity. Quote, we knew exactly who we were and exactly where we were going. It was grand, end quote. Gordy. When Vern said to the others, you guys want to go see a dead body? He set them on a course to achieve a goal that would change their lives forever. Innocence would be lost, and the challenges of the real world would become, well, real. But he also created a situation in which four best friends would actually have an opportunity to really get to know each other, as they faced multiple challenges throughout their quest. The challenges were vast and varied. The local criminal gang on the same mission to find the body, some very hungry leeches, a train barreling down the tracks and trapping the boys on a bridge hundreds of feet off of the ground, the accidental misfiring of a gun, multiple losses of confidence, and something all of us are familiar with from being in teams at work and with our families at home in fighting. 
But what they learned along the way was that overcoming these challenges and reaching their goal was ultimately due to their differences rather than their similarities. Yes, they were all 12 years old. Yes, they lived in the same small town. Insert classic John Cougar Mellencamp song reference here. And yes, they all shared the same sense of adventure. But it was how very different they were from each other that got them to their destination. Gordy is a quiet, smallish, and creative storyteller. Vern is heavy set, nervous, and very much a follower. Teddy has a quick wit and a quicker tongue, but has an angry darkness buried inside of him. Chris is the most complex, outwardly confident with leadership qualities, but inwardly insecure due to his poverty-stricken and very dysfunctional family. He's highly intelligent, but doesn't realize it. Ultimately, each finds something in himself that helped the team face and conquer a specific challenge, which let the members of the group see the true individuality within each other. Because they embrace individuality over group conformity, the boys ultimately reached their goal and found success. Healthy businesses and teams embrace the individual. When employees are allowed, better yet encouraged, to be exactly who they are, as Gordy stated, it creates an environment in which everyone has a chance to thrive on their own terms. And this is when really great things happen. One of the coolest examples I've seen of achieving a goal while embracing the individual was when a space probe landed on a comet for the first time. There were cameras in the control room And as you would expect, everyone was cheering and crying. It was an absolutely incredible moment. But this is what made it super cool. As they panned the room, what you saw was not wonky rocket scientists with pocket protectors and thick bifocal glasses. Not even close. What you saw looked more like the crowd in an alternative rock show. Here was the incredible diverse group of men and women, some with tattoos, others wearing hoodies, and a few with visible piercings, who had just steered a hunk of super high-tech metal through space and landed it on a comet. Yes, landed on a comet. I'm guessing that most of us don't land things on space rocks for a living, although we might sing Space Age Love Song by Flock of Seagulls from time to time. But we and our teams do have goals to achieve. And if you find that your team is achieving its goals, but the results are typically of the vanilla variety, thereby not providing breakthrough solutions and leaving all of you consistently underwhelmed, Try removing any conformity, embracing the individual of each team member. Approach the next goals or strategy session by encouraging everyone to shed their corporate skin, remove their work mask, and be exactly who they are. You might be pleasantly surprised by the outcome, and if nothing else, it will create an atmosphere of acceptance that will make everyone more comfortable with each other and themselves. And that, my friends, as Gordy would say, is grand. Did you think that was the end? That's not the end. I've got a surprise for you. Chris is now going to give us... A little teaser into book two that's coming soon. Check this out. Hey, everyone. Yeah, I'm back. It is not the end of Ferris Bueller where we're going to tell you, uh, you know, go home. Not yet. Chapter four from my second book I'm going to read a little bit from, and I really appreciate Jason giving me this extra time. It'll be available in the fall under the same title, What 80s Pop Culture Teaches Us About Today's Workplace, but it'll be mixtape number two. And this is chapter four. I'm going to read just a little bit of the intro from Fast Times at Ridgemount High and what it taught us about the workplace. Quote, I like that. I don't know. That's nice, end quote. Mr. Hand, Fast Times at Ridgemount High. Believe it or not, there are a number of parallels between high school and the workplace. Some good, like teamwork and personal growth. Others not so good, like cliques and gossip. The student body at Ridgemount High School back in 1982 delivered us examples for each of those. But going beyond these surface lessons is really where the core of our education for this chapter can be found. As Hall Notes said in their 1985 hit song, What you want is an adult education. And yes, Jess Piccoli is actually going to deliver that to you. Fast Times at Ridgemont High introduced us to a familiar face for the first time, Mr. Hand. 
Although none of us had technically met Mr. Hand, I say familiar because he epitomized the 80s high school teacher who had little time to suffer fools, which meant he had very little time for Spicoli. At one point early in the movie, Spicoli is tardy once again. And when asked why he can't make it to class on time, he simply says, I don't know. For some reason, even thinking about saying those three words in the workplace has somehow become synonymous with weakness and lack of preparation, or worse yet, intelligence. But as we will find out, it is okay to say I don't know. And in fact, one can and will argue that it is a more of a sign of strength and character than anything negative. Of course, using that response when you're a tardy to work is not advised. More and more, we are hearing about toxic work environments and toxic leadership. It goes without saying that toxic is not a word that you ever want associated with you or your company, unless it's followed by the word Avengers in the 1984 Troma Entertainment cult classic, The Toxic Avenger. And even then, maybe not so much. As we know now, when employees do leave, they are usually leaving their manager or the company and not the job. When Spicoli was trying to explain a piece of American history and said, so what Jefferson was saying was, hey, you know, we left this England place because it was bogus. So if we don't get some cool rules ourselves prano, we'll just be bogus too. He was actually on to something for today's workplace. In the past, the employer typically had the upper hand when it came to leverage over the loyal employee who stayed for 25 years. If they were lucky enough to avoid a layoff, only to be moved out and given the proverbial gold watch as a thank you. But now with the ability to find a new job literally at your fingertips, increased competition, an incredibly mobile workforce with options to also work remote, and the increased acceptance of what used to be called job hopping, the one-sided loyalty advantage the employers enjoyed is virtually gone. This is a very good thing. And this is also why striving to make your place of business the greatest and coolest place to work is an absolute necessity in today's environment and really should be built into every business plan. And finally, in the category of what the Culture Club called Karma Chameleon back in 1984, Spicoli unwittingly teaches us that when ordering lunch in the office, always make sure to get enough for everyone. So before we begin to learn more about what Spicoli, Mr. Han, and the student body at Ridgemont High taught us about today's workplace, let's very carefully hop in the time machine with the I'll Be Back cyborg known as a Terminator and pay a visit to 1982. And that was Chris Clues with the sample chapter from his latest book, What 80s Pop Culture Teaches Us About Today's Workplace. Plus, you got a bonus sneak peek into his follow-up, which is coming in just a couple of months. Hey, click the links in the show notes for Chris, the con and charity that he talked about, uh, as well as all my show sponsor and friends. I really appreciate when you click on those links. And definitely, we're going to get Chris back on the show. So make sure you hit that subscribe button as well so that you don't miss out on that, as well as next time when we come back with a new author, a new book, and another sample chapter. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We will see you again next time. Take care.